I was worried it was getting a little dodgy in the middle part, but then that finale. <laughs> wow! Hello, and welcome to Two for One, the podcast where we discuss two movies based on the same source material. But sometimes we talk about two movies that honestly have nothing in common at all, except for their release date. Yeah, with this podcast, we're just really hyped about uh, Oppenheimer and Barbie coming out the same weekend, and once we realized that we actually had tickets to opening weekend, we figure why not uh, do a podcast about them. So it is Barbieheimer weekend, or is it Barbenheimer? Whatever the, the couple name for these movies. So Barbie is coming out based off of the famous doll, and the movie is... Directed by Greta Gerwig and starring Margot Robbie and Ryan Gosling, as well as a whole cast of other very famous people. And Oppenheimer is the new Chris Nolan movie, uh, which I don't think we've actually talked about any Chris Nolan movies before. Only in passing reference. Yeah, not uh, not directly anyway, but he's one of our fave directors and uh, we love most of his movies and I think just his name gets people hyped up so pretty exciting uh and it's based on the maybe a couple specific biographies but uh yeah very exciting exciting times indeed yeah so at this moment in our recording we haven't seen the movies we are getting ready to see Oppenheimer tonight and Barbie early tomorrow so fresh minds, no opinions yet, just to talk about what it's been like with the hype leading up to these movies. One interesting thing is no matter if either movie ends up being like enduring, like if people watch it years and years from now, no one's ever gonna think like, oh, Barbie, just like Oppenheimer. Like that's just not gonna be a connection people have in the future. I think some people maybe for nostalgia reasons will remember this weekend if they enjoyed both movies, but it's unique that at this moment they are so interconnected because of the hype. Hype is fun and I get why. I get why people are having fun with it and I don't think I'm the first person to have made this connection but it is a lot like three years ago when uh, the new Doom game and the new Animal Crossing game came out right at the same time and even though they're catering to very different audiences there's still a lot of overlap and I think people really ran with that overlap of you know people who are going to play both and they're both hugely popular series so I think it's a similar thing here where except for the last few weeks we don't really go to the movie theater that often Um, but for people who do I could see there being you know even if they didn't come out the same weekend I could see a lot of people being interested in both of these movies I mean I think they're both going to be huge anyway so just naturally there's going to be overlap but the hype is, is fun to get into and what they're going to go see first and what they're more interested in. It's such a perfect dichotomy. You know, it's like gendered. One is serious and one is fun, right? Yeah, bubblegum pop movie. Even though, you know, I don't want to make assumptions having not seen either of them. So. I know. Honestly, at this moment, I'm probably most excited and most trepidatious for Barbie because I know nothing about what it will be about. I saw the trailer, but I'm looking forward to finding out if there is 
more to it than just being a movie about Barbie. I kind of am guessing that there will be, I don't know, messages and meaning to it. My expectations aren't actually super high for it. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it looks ultimately like a silly movie, but I really just do not know what to expect with it. So I guess that's what I'm trying to say. The marketing for both of these movies has been so everywhere. And mm-hmm. especially, I think, once they got the same release date, which I think happened six months ago and people started pointing it out, and then the hype has only built since then. Yeah. But the studios are kind of taking advantage of that and using the hype of one to build the hype for the other. So it's like marketing two movies with one you know, message. But the Barbie team especially has been so on point with their marketing, I think. Like, their trailer literally says, like, if you love Barbie, this movie's for you. If you hate Barbie, this movie's for you. And there's such, like, a, this irony to the way that they're marketing it that they're just perfectly towing the line between something that you might feel a little embarrassed to watch, but because they're leaning into that irony, you don't have to feel bad at all, even if you're like, actually, I'm really into Barbie, you know? You can be that, or you can be like, I don't care at all. And I think part of it is Margot Robbie. There's something ironic about her anyway. Maybe just like being the most attractive person in the world, but also being able to joke about that in a certain way. In the big short, there's a whole scene that's just a joke about her sex appeal, kind of satirizing The Wolf of Wall Street or like the use of sex in movies anyway, but while still having Margot Robbie drinking champagne in a bathtub. We're actually doing the thing, but we're pretending it's ironic, and you just, like, you can't escape that trap. The first thing I think of when I think of Margot Robbie will always be the bathtub scene in uh, in the big short. Yeah. And that's even, I adore her as Harley Quinn, too, so. But there's know. also, I feel like there's something to Harley Quinn, too, that is ironic. Yeah, it's like she's winking at you, you know? Just, she takes but these roles and loves them. But also, she's perfect as Harley Quinn. Yeah. It's great. <laughs> yeah. So I think she was perfectly cast for Barbie as well. And yeah. they just like tricked everybody into thinking that there's nothing wrong with seeing this movie. And actually you have to see this movie. And I don't know how they did it. Like, it's incredible. I think part of it is the luck of having one of those moments where the two contrasting movies were able to build hype for each other. Mm-hmm. But there's something really specific to Barbie that they've managed to pull off. And I mean, I think the cast does a lot for it. Margot Robbie, but also everyone. I mean, the first thing I saw for it was on Facebook, and it was she's a Barbie, he's just Ken, she's a physicist Barbie, he's just Ken, and it was just like 20 images of members of the cast, Mm -hmm. but it was just so many famous people that is probably attracting a wider audience, too. The last thing I'll say about Margot Robbie is as part of the hype, when they've been going to the premieres at all different places and different like press events, she's been dressing up in Barbie outfits. Mm-hmm. So those Barbie historians out there who must exist are just releasing every day, oh, what she wore last night is this Barbie's outfit. And seeing her next to the doll is just cool. I mean, I always appreciate costuming as part of movies themselves, but as it being part of the the press and the advertising for the movie, it's being done really well here, too. They're doing all these tiny things that are, like, just destined to go viral in some sector of the internet. You know, the people who obsess over Barbie's different outfits are going to pick up on these things. There's just some genius behind this 
or like maybe just a lot of smart and hardworking people on their marketing team that are getting yeah. all this done. There's actually a meme that's been contrasting it where the Barbie advertising and it's like three different images of them at different press events and shots from the trailer and all of the pink everything, big everything, right next to advertising for Oppenheimer. And it's just Killian Murphy's face three times, the same image. Mm-hmm. And the third one just says Oppenheimer, directed by Christopher Nolan. And yeah. it's like, I don't think that's necessarily true, but it, it's close to it adds it feels to the, true. the contrast, the, the fact that this is a dichotomy like David was saying, but you're excited about both sides yeah. of the meme. <laughs> My friend just sent me a tweet that just says, has anybody noticed that Oppenheimer is low-key dark and edgy as fuck, while Barbie is lighthearted and fun, making for a playful dichotomy at the box office? <laughs> Obviously, that's Obviously, a sarcastic... Obviously, that tweet, yes, was <laughs> being sarcastic. But it's just Since so... that's been, been pointed out to everyone for <laughs> yeah. the past couple for months. For the past six months, yeah. yeah. It's fun to lean into. And even when we were, we were out last night and we saw posters for Oppenheimer everywhere like those uh, moving posters right yeah it's uh, Killian Murphy in front of a, a bomb with yeah. all of these wires going into it and everything's red yeah. and like if you didn't already know who Oppenheimer was it's not telling you much about the movie except that it's a Chris Nolan movie and even like Killian Murphy isn't really a movie star it's kind of weird having him so front and center in the advertising even though I mean we love him he's Great. Yeah, I think that's what David and I are most excited for, is Killian Murphy getting all the screen time, because he is, yeah. he's great. And I know he was in a TV show, and I'm not sure if he was the main character or just part of the main cast. Yeah, Peaky so. Blinders. Was it Pe- I didn't watch it. Was he it. the main character? I think he was. Okay, so he's clearly been a leading man on the small screen, but we're but excited to see him that's different, like, everybody's going to see Oppenheimer. It's just like... It's just orders of magnitude different. And I think he's going to do a good job. Robert Downey Jr. has also been getting a lot of buzz. Everybody loves him now. Florence Pugh, so we're excited she's in the movie. And a couple other actors as well. I love Matt Damon, but I was not impressed with his performance from what I saw in the trailer. It's just Matt Damoning out really hard. Yeah. As Leslie Groves. And I think maybe his most recent movie that you and I have seen was The Duel. And you... You oh, were not impressed with his acting I didn't in that love movie. His, yeah. I can't say I think I liked it, but it's been a while since we saw it. So, I will say the advertising for Oppenheimer, aside from it being funny for being different from Barbie, I'm not super into. Very red color scheme of the poster and the very like sparseness of it. I'm not immediately enamored by it's not a time period that i get super into so like the suits and everything is not doing it for me but i am really excited to see killian murphy and as david said christopher nolan is one of our favorite directors it's it is weird because i think that outside of christopher nolan this would be a movie that 70 year old white dudes that are really into the history channel that would go watch this in theaters and outside of that what is the selling point here Mm -hmm. but it's literally just christopher nolan and i think like dunkirk another movie that i think you know world war ii nothing really if you just described it like there's nothing really to make it stand out but it made hundreds of millions of dollars based on entirely christopher nolan being behind it and it's, it's a great movie right so i think there's just a lot of trust that people have and like a really large and devoted following that yeah. We'll go see anything that Christopher Nolan does. Which includes us. And yeah. I'm 
happy to know that there's still so many other people who feel that way about him since his most recent work, Tenet, which we both like. I ordered my hot sauce an hour ago. Didn't land great for a lot of other people, so I'm glad people are still excited and wanting to see his movies. We actually, we went to see Tenet in the movie theater last night. <laughs> last night. Because <laughs> um, there was a local theater that was doing a series of Christopher Nolan movies every week, culminating with Tenet and then the same week that Oppenheimer's coming out. Yeah, so you can imagine we went to a lot of those. We went to, I think, three of them, yeah. Uh, and it was really fun. I mean, we went to get, like, a snack midway through the movie, and we were just talking, and we were just saying how much fun we were having and how it felt like you're watching like a cult film because even though I think it's Nolan's most polarizing movie like everybody that I talk to most people I talk to like really hate that movie mm-hmm. but it was just really fun watching like a group of people that have clearly seen it before clearly or like into its brand of humor and stupidity and it was like really fun yeah it was it was a good time I don't want to ask you David uh for predictions so let's keep Doing Barbie first, Oppenheimer second. Do you have any predictions for Barbie? No, I kind of know what it's about. Oh, you do? Sort of. Oh, okay. Barbie, like, leaves Barbie world and comes to the real world. This was in the trailer. That's all I know. Yeah, she becomes, like, self-aware or something. I assume that uh, there's going to be a lot of feminist themes. and. Yeah, I'm hoping for for it to be a movie that I feel good about. The whole... Toys becoming self-aware really makes me feel like, uh, you might think Toy Story, but no, the Lego movie really recently did that, where it's a bunch of toys doing a bunch of toy stuff, and then in the last, like, 20% of the movie, you get to see the humans for whom this Lego toy set is set up. Which is, for some reason, like, Will Ferrell, very right? meta. It is Will Ferrell, yeah. And so I'm not sure if it's like that, if she's an actual doll who, mm. you know, or maybe Ooh, it's good. more like that Tyra Banks movie. Um, if anyone saw it, I think it was called Life Size. She was a, a doll who came to life and had to interact with the world, and it was difficult for her. And all I remember of that was that she had her serial number on the bottom of her foot, and I think she went back to being a doll at the end of it. So... It's an idea we've seen, but I imagine there's a new take going on here. I would imagine that it's trying to do themes that we're familiar with and do them well, you know, and do them with, like, a world-renowned toy. Like I said, walk the line of not making fun of people that like this thing while also making it more inclusive and, I think, positive in a way, right? Because... You know, when we were growing up, I feel like there was this constant, not even like backlash, because it wasn't a moment. It was just like a constant undercurrent of like, it's not okay to like Barbie because Mm -hmm. it's problematic in more than one way, I guess. Yeah. I mean, there's just so many, I mean, when you're a kid and people be like, oh, Barbie's for girls or girly girls. But then it's like, oh, Barbie at one point said math is hard and all this stuff. So it's just wrong to play with it at all because it's bad for girls and it's you know no matter who you are your gender your you know own life experiences barbie can be a tough thing to like and i think this movie even before it's released has already basically shaken that off completely rehabilitated the barbie image and i mean 
the Barbie people, what is it, Mattel? Mm -hmm. They must be thrilled, right? <laughs> they must be. Like, I mean, not only is the movie going to sell a ton of dolls, but just, like, immediately, but just the image, the long-term, like, brand recognition and respect, I think is going to be night and day than what it would have been two years ago or whatever. Yeah. Because I think even when this movie was announced, people were, like, really skeptical and, like, this is the stupidest thing I've ever heard of. You know, six months ago when we started seeing what it actually looks like, and then when the hype got built, then the world really turned around on it. Absolutely. And it's going to be the biggest movie of the year, probably. I don't even know what the biggest would be so far. Maybe The Little Mermaid? Anyway, predictions for Oppenheimer? I absolutely have predictions for Oppenheimer. Mm -hmm. Christopher Nolan is known for playing around with time. Memento is a story told backwards. Dunkirk takes three different storylines that happen at different rates of speed, but tells them simultaneously. Tenet is literally about time travel. <laughs> right. So he has uh, an idea of time, and I think here he might go into space, and I think we might get some parallel dimension ideas here. Really? Yeah, I do. Because um, I really hope not, because I, Interstellar is my least favorite Christopher Nolan movie. No, and... I think he's going to delve into it, because I think... There's going to be this idea that when the bomb goes off, they didn't know exactly what was going to happen. So maybe it was this, or maybe it was this, or maybe it was this. Or it's just going to be a straight-up biopic. And it's going to be very unlike a very Christopher Nolan movie. It's just going to be told straight. From what I've read, I think it'll be more like The Prestige, where it's not told in a linear way. Mm -hmm. But it is very straightforward and easy to follow. I mean, the prestige is easy to follow, and then you get to the end, and you're like, I followed that movie, but I did not follow it correctly, <laughs> right, and you exactly. have to watch it again. So I don't think it'll be like that, but I think it'll be told in a linear way. And Batman Begins is kind of like that. Where there's like constant flashbacks and flash forwards and stuff like that. Oh yeah, Batman Begins A little less so than the prestige. To, but, but it's similar to the prestige yeah. in the way that you're, you're sort of in the middle of one action, and then you go to this other story for a bit and then yeah. you come back to where you are and from what i can tell it is going to follow a little bit of the memento track of having alternating black and white and color scenes and maybe i mean i get the impression that there's going to be black and white during the like later in his career when he has to defend himself against accusations of being a spy or a traitor or you know whatever he's accused of a communist and then the color scenes are going to show the actual Manhattan Project. That's the sense I get. I know, I mean, I know enough about the guy that, like, I feel like predictions about a biopic are stupid. But Well, that's why I think, you know, it's it, more it'd be wild if Nolan was just like, let's think about the possibilities of if he'd been wrong. But I think Nolan was legitimately inspired by Oppenheimer's life. So that's why there's a good chance it's just a straight biopic story. Except for, obviously, with the Christopher Nolan yeah. flair of storytelling not being super linear do you think this is just him being like if i'm really the greatest i can even make a biopic interesting <laughs> i wonder if there's some element of that if he's like i can i'm gonna make the best biopic that's ever been made i was told that he was gifted a biography of oppenheimer from robert pattinson after tenet yeah. And I got the sense, similar to Lin-Manuel Miranda reading the Hamilton biography, that he just really enjoyed he's like, this I book. I love this, and, he's and like, I can already picture it in my yeah, head. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. I mean, there have been movies, there was like a 
a fat man and little boy movie. I want to say from like 30 years ago, maybe 25 years ago or something. I think John Cusack was in it. So I don't know. I like. I'm just saying like we have imagery from the Manhattan Project, the Trinity Test, you know, and from Oppenheimer's life, we have like photos, photo and video, and we also have fictionalized accounts and plenty of biographies. So it's not like there's not stuff to pull from that might have already been banging around in his head, right? But maybe he thinks this is just a subject that he's interested in, and hey, I'm the best director in the world, I can I can make this actually good and not make it, you know, the easily forgettable biopics that come out all the time. Honestly, I don't super buy into hype a lot of the time, so as much as I'm definitely going to go see these two movies, that's kind of just because I'm a person who likes movies. My expectations are moderate, I think, especially for Barbie, but kind of for both of them. Internet hype is always stupid, you know? <laughs> yeah, I don't want to buy into that, like, but we, we totally did, and it's just too late. Like, we bought into it, and we can't get ourselves out now, so we'll just have to ride the hype wave and, and see what happens. What I do buy into is, like, when, when everybody talks about how great a movie was... And everybody's like, I love that movie. Then you get hyped about that, and then... We're, yeah, word you know, of mouth. Yeah. yeah, word of mouth more than, like, reviews or, like, Twitter. Nobody's seen the movies yet, so it's all, it's all hype. All right, last question before we come back, having seen the movies, to tell you about them. David, which one do you think you're going to like better? I think I'll like Oppenheimer, because it's always... It's like, I even enjoy movies, like, more the more times I watch them. And I think knowing about Oppenheimer already like even a little bit is going to help me enjoy the movie and then following Chris Nolan's like style which is like really easy to follow that's what makes him a good director is he can tell these like complex things in a very like enjoyable and easy to follow way whereas Barbie I just like I have no clue what to expect and mm -hmm. it's always hard to settle into a movie that you have no idea what it is until you see it so Barbie I could easily see being something where I I'm confused for half of it then I maybe enjoy it and then I see it again months later or years later or something and I enjoy it more I could I see what that you mean. what about you well, I was just gonna give a one-word answer <laughs> and it is Oppenheimer but uh so I'll just co-sign all of your reasons because yeah I I think I'm gonna end up liking Oppenheimer better but we'll see all right we'll be back soon with our thoughts on both movies All right, we're back. We assume that you just heard our transition music, like uh, Hakuna Matata and The Lion King, and everybody got a little bit older. But for us, it's just been 24 hours, and we watched uh, Oppenheimer last night, and then Barbie this afternoon, and we just got back a little bit ago. How are you doing? Good. Have you started recording? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, tired, honestly. <laughs> it's a lot of movies. Yeah. Uh, we we only got back at like one thirty last night mm -hmm. because our showing was like at nine thirty, and it's Oppenheimer's a really long movie, and I did not sleep well because there was a thunderstorm and the cat didn't sleep well, so he was sleeping next to me, so I didn't have any space. So, and Oppenheimer was kind of a disturbing movie. Which one do you want to start with in terms of the meeting your expectations or not? 
Why don't we start with Barbie because we just watched it, so I think it might be more on our minds. Yeah, I guess Barbie sort of was what it was, which is... It wasn't not what it was. <laughs> it wasn't a lot. I don't think it had a lot new or original to say. I think it just wanted to have fun, be a little absurd at times, and going in, like we said, I had no idea what it would be about. Um, it is Barbie coming into the real world. But that lasts for so little time, and then we're back in Barbie land. Um, so yeah, I guess not having expectations for what it would be about, I'm not surprised that I'm a little befuddled about what it ended up being about. But, uh, but at the same time, it met my expectations in terms of like being about patriarchy and feminism, and that everyone would learn to be okay with themselves at the end. Yeah. I can't tell if this was just because Will Ferrell was in it, but it reminded me a lot of Elf, which is a movie I don't like. It's so much like Elf. The traveling from Santa's workshop to the real world was done like the exact same way yeah, in the movie. Yeah, there was a lot of like aesthetic and I guess just tonal similarities. Yeah. But in Elf, he's in New York for like the whole movie, and yeah. they're only in LA for like twenty minutes in Barbie, and then they go back, or that's what it seemed like. And the L.A. they're in is like a silly L.A. It's like it's like extra L.A. You yeah. Know? It's very goofy. Yeah. Um, I love Elf, but yeah, I also saw that comparison. Yeah. I think that, I mean, obviously we knew that it was going to try to have something to say about feminism, but I thought the movie was more about the way that people react to feminism and like the way that Ken reacts to a society that he doesn't understand, but he can only interpret the way that he feels, and then he has to respond to that, and then everybody has to respond to him, and the downstream effects of both patriarchy and then, you know, feminism, and whatever the utopia that Barbie Land is supposed to be at the beginning, which I think is, uh, Greta Gerwig thinks is flawed. That's kind of the premise of the beginning of the movie. I don't know if it had anything, like, super new to say, but I thought it said it well. Billy, I thought that it was a little bit of a letdown. At the end, Barbie's like, well, I don't need to be just stereotypical Barbie anymore. I can be a human. I can be whatever I want. But we don't get to see anything that she wants to be. And so I think, like... I understand wanting to reject a stereotype and reject expectations, but not knowing what... Like, I would feel more satisfied if we saw what ends up driving her. You know, what does she become passionate about? But we do see her form some good relationships, and, you know, that's nice. You think they wanted her to just be an avatar for whoever was watching the movie yeah, and not have did. any... Yeah, Yeah. If, if they'd given her anything specific that she gravitated towards, that would be... Oh, well, I don't relate to that. No, you're right, but it does leave it sort of a hollow character, which is weird for a, a story about self-actualization. And I think Ken's story did a little bit of the same. Um, like, at the end, his big realization is, I'm Ken! And it's like, but you've been literally calling yourself Ken the whole movie. You're still not telling us what you're, you're actually about, you know? Yeah. Well, I my interpretation... The movie's view is that if men only define themselves in terms of whether they embrace or reject the patriarchy, then they're never gonna, like, achieve their own self-actualization, and that needs to be, like, a separate journey that they have to go on outside of 
outside of Barbie's journey, right? Outside of women's journey. You know, that you can't define yourselves in relation, relation to, to others. others. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I thought that was driven home. But I agree, like, I mean, there were there were some issues with it. I thought the pacing was weird. Like, I thought that they were going to be in L.A. for a long time. Yeah. And they're like, no, we're not going to be in L.A. We're going to go back to Ken World? Kendom. Kendom Ken- Land. Kendom Land. Barbie Land. Kendom. Yeah. The other movie that it reminded me of a lot was Frozen 2, because um, Kristoff ends up sidelined in a similar way. Uh, Anna still loves him in Frozen 2, and in this movie it's very much Barbie doesn't love Ken and needs to define her relationship but with that's him. But that's just bad writing in Frozen 2. I think that was like the point of Ken's character in this movie. Yeah, well, I don't know if it was because that, that comparison was called to mind for me that I was not as enamored of it, but it mm. seemed so similar. He even has a song about, like, who am I without her, which is... Like, the same as Kristoff's uh, Lost in the Woods song or whatever. Yeah, I, okay. I don't mean to be down on Barbie. I enjoyed it. Um, but I think also my expectation was that I would like Oppenheimer more. And I probably liked Oppenheimer a little bit more. Okay. Thoughts on Oppenheimer? Expectations? Immediate reaction? I went first for Barbie. It's your turn. I was really struck today watching Barbie how last night I didn't feel the length of Oppenheimer. Mm-hmm. very much even though we saw it like really late at night and I think everybody was tired I didn't feel the length at all like I was always ready for you know the ride that the movie was taking me on whereas with Barbie I like really felt the length and I feel like most of the time I go to the movie theater you know we're like at least for me I'm so used to constantly looking at my phone or looking at other things and when I actually go to the theater it's like really hard to it's like a long time to be paying attention to something and for a three hour movie Oppenheimer did not feel long, at least relative to the movie that I saw today. Is that was that, that your? That sounds like a very positive. Yeah. Feeling okay. Yeah. No, I thought that uh, it it didn't feel. Oh. I I all, well I think we might have been tired watching Barbie. I I did find some parts <laughs> tedious true. though, so the the tedium made it seem a little a little long, like. She's going around Barbie land going, hi, Barbie, hi, Barbie, for, like, ten minutes. And it's like, I get it. (laughs) Um, I didn't think the beginning of Barbie felt long. I thought, like, toward the end is when it started to drag a little bit. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, But I don't know. But for Oppenheimer, I would say that it did feel long. It definitely felt long. Like, at the end, I was like, wow, we were in there for a long time. And it is long. But I think... And maybe this is similar to what you are saying you felt. I became more and more interested in Oppenheimer as it went on. Like, I shared with you last night, the last hour of it I thought was the most engaging. Mm -hmm. So because of that, even though I was aware of the length of time, I only enjoyed it more as the movie went on. Yeah, Oppenheimer is kind of split. I thought it was... I don't know if these are exactly one hour long each, but it was kind of split into the first hour of like Oppenheimer's early life before the war, and then the second hour is the Manhattan Project at Los Alamos, and then the third hour is the revocation of his security clearance and you know all the politics that happen after the war, right? Uh, and I thought the first part was, like you said, not 
the best part. But contrary to what I said yesterday about Matt Damon, I really liked him in Oppenheimer. Oh, really? Yeah. Because yesterday I was saying that, like, I thought in the trailer he didn't look that good. And then I realized that they took his line and they, like, cut it because he said the F word in his line. And I think maybe that was, like, part of why his... It didn't look very good in the trailer. Hmm. But it's a line where he says, like, this is maybe because this is the most important thing ever to be done in the history of the fucking world. Fuck! I don't know. Like, we've already met him at that point, and he's, like, a good uh, foil for Oppenheimer, where they're a team, and they work together really well, even though they're very different. Uh, This is Matt Damon as Leslie Groves. So, I don't know. I liked him, and obviously Killian Murphy, I thought, was really good. For me, the performance that really stood out in Oppenheimer was Emily Blunt. I feel like she took me for a ride over the course of the movie. She really did, didn't she? Because in half the movie, I was like, I don't care for Emily Blunt. Yeah, I don't like her. She seems like a, you know, unfortunate person for him to end up entangled with. And then, like, kind of a superfluous character in the movie, you know? And then in the end, she goes in real hard. And, like, it's, like, the most... It's not a very, like, triumphant movie. You know, I think it's very uh, ambivalent about Oppenheimer and about, you know, what it's trying to say. But, like, if there is a moment of triumph, that's Emily Blunt's, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, just over the course of it, you think with the way she's acting, being an irresponsible mother and an alcoholic, like, oh, like, for moral reasons, this is going to end up being a bad person, like... Any movie you've seen before with those sorts of actions, you're like, okay, morally bad person. But they really, honestly, for Barbie having been about, you know, this is what it's like to be human, her character was so human. Mm-hmm. Like, despite those flaws, her relationship with Oppenheimer felt real, like they actually did care about each other and, um, and like, support each other. But she also wouldn't, like, sidestep for him or, like, let him be the main character in their family like she would be the one to step up and be like no like you need to do this yeah so a flawed character for sure definitely has her faults but just a a really interesting person yeah and for for most movies i feel like when they set up like a character like that again another foil for oppenheimer and someone who's like almost an obstacle and then at the end of the movie it's not that she's right necessarily, mm-hmm. but it's that she's been set up as almost like a villain. At the at the last second, he's like, "No, like actually, we're a team, and like I trust her." And then she's like really pissed at him, but she just goes in hard and like is basically like the real hero, of, the only hero of the movie. Because, like I said, I don't think that the movie really treats Oppenheimer necessarily as a hero. Yeah, I mean, well, he created the atom bomb, so I thought that they treated him fairly. But I got a sense of her sort of representing his conscience a little bit, too, which I think is unfair because it's not just about, you know, she was obviously based on a real person, Mm. you know, so they probably wanted to capture that. But she was more expressive than Oppenheimer was, Mm -hmm. and she understood him so well, better than anybody. So she was able to put to words how he felt about things that he couldn't, like, especially at the end of the movie when they have their final moment together and she basically tells him that he wants the world to forgive him, but he can't make that happen. And as is sort of her personality, the sort of sense she's giving off is just 
deal with it and we got to move on with our lives. Yeah. And I think if, you know, I think there's probably a lot of different things that you could take away from Oppenheimer, but one of the things that I took away was that Oppenheimer, you know, he's sort of caught between a bunch of different things between being, you know, pro nuclear weapons and anti nuclear weapons between being an American patriot and a humanitarian that, you know, wants to care about, you know, his effect on the world between being a scientist and being in the military. And it's hard for him, I think, to ever definitively choose a side, right? So it's almost like, and I think Killian Murphy captures that really well, that he is very subtle but expressive like for a person who never wants to like say anything definitive he really captures a lot of what Oppenheimer's thinking but then you have characters like Kitty or even like Leslie Groves who or any of the other like hundred scientists that appear in this movie like really famous names Teller and Niels Bohr and Lawrence Feynman everybody's in this movie all those people sort of give voice to the different thoughts that are bouncing around inside his head but he is not saying what he actually believes at any point so you're left with you know you're left with kitty to be his most forceful defender and kitty is emily blunt's character yeah does this tell me that it met your expectations exceeded your expectations i don't know i thought like barbie had really high highs and i Mm -hmm. thought oppenheimer did not have those high highs you know Mm -hmm. but it, it was it was much more well-paced, especially after the last, or after the first hour. I thought it was just a, an enjoyable movie. I, it obviously didn't meet my expectations, uh, because I expected Christopher Nolan to want to explore the physics of it more. They have a whole moment where they think that the chain reaction that the splitting of the atom would cause might light the atmosphere on fire and literally spread throughout the whole world. And I expected Christopher Nolan to be interested in all of the theories before they actually worked it out and have that be something that Killian Murphy's character Oppenheimer is like imagining and envisioning, like multiple different potential futures because of what he's participating in. But instead I thought that they, A, they kept the physics pretty light Mm -hmm. Um, They obviously wanted it to be accessible for any audience. And rather than really show us a detailed, like, idea of, okay, well, if this is how it works, this is how it'll go down, they give us moments of that. Like, when he's first a student, you get a lot of, like, visual and audio, like, representations of physics ideas, you know, like time and space and it's tough to really explain because it's like abstract shapes but you Mm -hmm. get the sense that he's thinking about all the potentials that physicists must think about when they're working in theoretical physics i guess he was working in quantum physics but yeah it was theoretical at the time and i didn't like that (laughs) i didn't like the way it was represented with yeah like you said it's hard to describe but it would be like rays moving through space and, Mm -hmm. and i would guess you know particles it reminded me space. a lot of the first song in the original Fantasia movie where they decided to put shapes and lines to music. But yeah, I can understand not liking it because I don't think it added much. Mm-hmm. I think it captured a little bit of maybe Oppenheimer's 
state of mind at that time that he's you know young and full of ideas and doesn't really like it's pouring out of him because mm-hmm. he's a genius but some of them are terrifying and he doesn't know what to do with it yeah he's just always imagining it and always like he can't stop his brain from going places yeah exactly but the one sort of potential reality i expected to see was flames just going around the whole world we sort of saw and, it. and we we sort of saw that when when they had the idea when they had the uh the one calculation saying well we might ignite the atmosphere on fire there was a moment of seeing that happen so whereas my actual prediction it's not true you know because i expected a lot more of that you know i think christopher nolan was certainly thinking about that a little bit but yeah it didn't yeah like you're saying it didn't capture my imagination because I guess he wanted to keep it steeped in reality and what actually happened. But I think the end is ambiguous because it ends with a flashback to a conversation that Oppenheimer had with Einstein where they talk about what he had done on the Manhattan Project, which Einstein had initially supported by writing a letter to President Roosevelt saying we need... To make atomic bombs. Yeah, we need to do this. He says, like, oh, I... I asked you at the time, like, you know, is there a chance that this is going to destroy the world? And now I think that, like, it did. Because he doesn't know how this is going to end up. Just like we don't know, you know, what the future is. Like, we do have the power to destroy the world. And, like, the idea of the atmosphere just burning, like, that didn't happen during the Trinity test. But he still doesn't know whether he did something that ultimately resulted in the destruction of the world it's not it's not the same as presenting you those realities it's just highlighting that you know the reality of the future is something that we don't know and we'll never know until we get there i'm glad you brought up the ending because that was my main takeaway was how effective the final scenes and especially the final scene of the movie were because We've been tracking throughout the movie. We were correct, unsurprisingly, that it wouldn't be told super linearly. Oppenheimer is sitting in a room trying to get his security clearance renewed. um, And we're getting flashbacks of his life as he's sort of like explaining himself. Simultaneously in black and white, we get scenes with Robert Downey Jr. who is trying to get approved for a cabinet position. Uh, But we get flashbacks for the things he's talking about as well, which had to do with Oppenheimer because he hired Oppenheimer to be part of a board and that's the same board for which he's trying to get his security clearance renewed, which we find out by the end of the movie, Robert Downey Jr. basically set that up in order to accuse him of communist ties and other things that would cause him to be disgraced and lose his security clearance, no longer be able to work on the board. The big takeaway is, oh, Robert Downey Jr. is this vindictive guy, but Oppenheimer has been doing all of these things, which ended in hundreds of thousands of people dying, and now he's like sort of wanting to be forgiven. And you, you're barreling into these stories as they're reaching their climaxes of Oppenheimer doesn't get his security clearance renewed, and Robert Downey Jr., his character's name is Strauss. Strauss doesn't get approved for the cabinet, and they're both disappointed in their pursuits and it's very much a story of ego and like being told being denied 
when you hit that point, like the climax seems like it's going to be about these men, but the person who's been sort of Robert Downey Jr.'s aide, Strauss's aide, who has been disillusioned over the course of the movie as he realizes that like this is a really vindictive guy and everything, mm-hmm. he gets one of the he gets the final line before the final scene, which introduces that that moment of Oppenheimer talking to Einstein. Robert Downey Jr.'s character Strauss was also there that day, but not part of the conversation, and then was rebuffed by Einstein and sort of blamed Oppenheimer for what did he say to like poison his mind against me? Like what is why am I being treated this way by scientists? And he brings that moment up again right after he's found that he's not going to get the, the cabinet position. And this aide turns around and says, maybe they weren't talking about you. Maybe they had more important things to talk about. And that line just really hit me because the only thing we've been caring about for the last 10 minutes is what happens to these men mm-hmm. and our perceptions of these men. And then we immediately cut to the scene David just described, where we find out finally what this conversation was about. We've seen it from a distance a few times. Between Einstein and Oppenheimer. And it's literally about the fate of the world. And it's such a harrowing idea that this power people wield now can and will lead to our destruction. And I just, whew, I thought it was a very effective yeah. ending. And That's I think really what stuck with me. It also, even though Oppenheimer is the hero of this movie, I think the movie treats him... I, I think at the end of the movie especially, it really undermines that argument because Robert Downey Jr.'s character, Strauss, like when he realizes he's not going to be confirmed, he says, I gave Oppenheimer everything he wanted. Yes. He wanted to be a martyr. He wanted to absolve himself essentially of guilt. Which is something that Kitty also, his wife, she accused said the him same of. Same thing, yeah. Both with the Manhattan Project and with his affair with. Uh, uh, with Florence Pugh's character. With Florence Pugh, but yeah, he's like, he's like going through this movie thinking that he can separate himself from the things that he's done, that he can walk this fine line between being pro peace and still willing to do what he has to do to win the war. To be able to build the bomb without necessarily taking responsibility for it. And I think she always calls him a martyr. And she says, like, you're just being a martyr. You need to fight. And then he goes to see the president, President Truman. And Truman says essentially the same thing. Like, you know, he doesn't say in that in that way. He says, get that crybaby out of here. I never want to see him again. Yeah, Oppenheimer says, I feel like I have blood on my hands. And Truman, who made the call for the bombs to be dropped is like get it out of here yeah and it's like do you just want to be able to do bad things and then seek absolution for the rest of your life and i think the conversation with einstein is a reminder that like that's not how it works like you're gonna die not knowing whether you like doomed all of humanity you know or like did a good thing right maybe he did do a good thing maybe he doomed us all and he'll just never know and he has to live with the with, with having not made that choice for his entire life. I got the same sense that we're not really meant to absolve Oppenheimer. We're meant to see that that's what he wants. That being said, I, I wonder how many people leaving the theater will feel like, oh, Oppenheimer was a genius and a great guy, and that Strauss dude was a jerk because he was mean. You know, I just feel like there's some concepts that even if a director and a movie convey it really well, 
it's hard people to... People are dumb. It's a, yeah, people are dumb, I guess is what I'm saying. But it's also like, it is just a hard message to, to make sure people digest, I guess. We watched uh, the op- we watched both of these movies in theaters. Another audience reaction that really uh, disturbed me was because Oppenheimer is a biopic, this is all real, not to mention we know history, so we know this is real. Oh, are you talking about when the secretary crossed Kyoto off the list because... Yeah, the secretary crossed Kyoto off the list because it's a place where he likes to honeymoon, where he went on his honeymoon. And the audience laughed like it was a joke. Well, like people laugh for a lot of reasons. Right, they could just know. be uncomfortable. But and it's I will like... say the audience laughter caused me to feel further disturbed with the the flippancy at which but I think so that's... many people can be cho- selected to be killed. But that's like the intention of the scene is just to reiterate like how... Like Oppenheimer goes to this meeting essentially after they've done the test and they say, okay, well... We don't know if Japan is ever going to surrender without us doing this, or even if we do it. But the Russians want us to do this. The president wants to do this. So we have to select a target. And Oppenheimer has been hearing from a lot of scientists, let's not do this. We already won the war against Germany. We basically won the war against Japan. Like Everything's over except for the surrender. Uh, just tell, tell the president, tell the secretary of war, like don't do it. And he's trying to voice that opinion. And meanwhile, they're just saying, like, okay, like, let's just arbitrarily pick, essentially, you know. Yeah, they're basically saying that's a foregone conclusion. This meeting yeah. is picking the city. We're not going to bomb these places. We're not going to bomb a major city. We have to bomb a medium-sized city. But it has to also be, you know, something of a military target. And it's just totally arbitrary selecting, you know, thousands of people to die. Yeah, it's just uncomfortable, right? And, like, the flippancy with which, I guess, the Secretary of War is, like, laughing about, you know, sparing tens of thousands. He's not laughing, though. The audience laughs. No, he did. that's what's weird. He did laugh. He was like, oh, yeah, it's a lovely city. And he's, like, Mm. smiling to himself, you know? He's having happy thoughts about it and pleased with himself that he's in a position to save something he cares about. Yeah, yeah. And Oppenheimer is just powerless to do anything. Or at least he wants to think himself. He wants to think, thank you. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think, I don't think he had the power to really change the course of of that room's direction. But you see that he did not speak up as much as he could have. Could I say something about Barbie? Yes. I was so afraid in the beginning that they would fall into the Pixar trap of just like having a really mechanical relationship between the Barbie world and the real world, you know? Oh, like over-explaining it? Like over-explaining it, and then at the end being like, oh, if we don't get Barbie back to the Barbie world, you know, through the, like, whatever in time, then, like, this is going to happen. And, like, I'm so glad that they didn't do that, because every Pixar movie is like that. And it could have easily just been that, and it wasn't, and I was so happy. Because it was like Elf instead, which you don't like. But at least I guess you like the mechanics of Elf. You just don't enjoy Will Ferrell. I was pretty disappointed when I saw that Will Ferrell was the CEO of Mattel in the movie. Do you like Will? Ferrell? Well, I was. Just, I do like. Well, I like Will Ferrell. I only enjoy a, a smattering of his movies, um, including Elf. I I think I just mentioned the Lego Movie, and so I was like, this is too weird to have him be mm-hmm. on the human side of a doll movie again. I thought about that too. Um, and also, like, his 
he and his crew of businessmen were really funny, but also pointless. Like, I don't know what they yeah. served to the story. They're sort of like lagging 15 minutes behind where Ken and then Barbie go. And then by the time you get to the end of the movie, the movie's resolved itself. And then you're like, we haven't seen the Mattel people. Oh, we saw them on the, on the bike and then they walk through the war zone and one of them gets hit and then he's in a sling. Yeah, you're right. You're right. And there's a lot of, there's a lot of comedy, but they weren't doing anything. They hadn't done anything. And then they show up at the end and basically also don't do anything at the end. Yeah. America Ferrera gives them a Barbie idea, which is ordinary Barbie, which correct me if I'm wrong, but isn't Barbie already ordinary Barbie? I feel like that being the, like, big successful idea at the end is, like... What did they call her? Ordinary Barbie. No, what did they call Margot Robbie? Stereotypical Barbie. Yeah. Which, yeah. that's not how that doll is marketed, so no. I don't know. The message I got was that in order to make Barbie something respectable, we keep giving Barbie, like... High achieving things, mm-hmm. you know, Nobel Prize winner, president, doctor, you know, even just like athlete and all these or- other things. And that women should be able to be proud to just like live and exist. And like, that's why we want ordinary Barbie. And I appreciate that message, but I don't think Mattel's not already making Barbies like that. And maybe I'm overthinking mm-hmm. this here, but I'm just like, I don't think America Ferrera had a real idea there. Crippling depression, <laughs> Barbie, and, you know, uh, what was the other one? Think, thinking about death incessantly, Barbie. Those, and, those and aren't being Barbie, made. <laughs> right? Kate McKinnon was weird Barbie. Well, but weird Barbie is just what every Barbie yeah. becomes when you play with it too much. Yeah. Which was fun, too, because I definitely had some weird Barbies. And everybody loves Kate McKinnon. But, you know... That's why I feel like for the ending of Oppenheimer to have had such a big impression and made the whole movie feel worth it, when really what I'm thinking about with that movie is the last 20 minutes, Mm -hmm. the ending of Barbie left me perplexed. And I feel like that's coloring my opinion of that movie. Even though I really enjoyed it and like the comedy was great, Ryan Gosling was was hilarious. And America Ferreira, I think... I know I said earlier that I didn't think it had anything super original to say, but I thought her delivery was great. I mean, she has a big speech she gives about just the difficulties of being a woman, and it's not anything you haven't heard before, but I thought it was well acted and well delivered. Yeah, and I think the last, I don't know about half the movie, but like the last part of the movie shifted the focus from Barbie, from Margot Robbie's Barbie onto America Ferrara's character mm-hmm. and sort of made her literally the mouthpiece for what this movie is supposed to be about. And at the end, someone's like, yeah, like Barbie just said this thing. And Barbie's like, no, I, what are you talking about? It was her that yeah. said this, you know? I feel like that moment happens twice because one time someone's like, it's white savior Barbie. And she's like, <laughs> no. <laughs> That wasn't me who said that. That was America Ferrer's character. Which I think that's, again... They're really trying to pull off, like, this trick here of making Barbie into this feminist hero. Mm-hmm. And they have to, like, kind of paper over a few unpleasantnesses, you know? And that's one of them. And then they have another part where Barbie's like, 
oh, I don't feel like, you know, like me. I don't feel pretty. I don't feel anything. And they're like, what are you talking about? You're so pretty. And then the narrator comes in and is like, all right, this doesn't really work with Margot Robbie, but like, whatever, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Just pretend that this isn't this anti-feminist capitalist icon, right? Right. Is and I mean, exactly the movie... Sasha calls her. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, the movie like lampshades that. Mm-hmm. in a way that is like well we said it so we don't have to deal with it you know and then they just move on and it's yeah. like yeah that works but like then you might think about it and be like hmm i don't know yeah no definitely conflicting ideas and also at the end of the day it's silly and a little uh absurd and i think america Ferrera gives that speech which i said i thought came across quite well i wasn't you know, bowled over by it, but I was like, all right, you know, she did a good job. She said what she wanted to say. But then the Barbies are like, okay, you need to go say that to all of the brainwashed Barbies. And just this idea of like repeating it again and again, rather than it being a genuine in the moment thing, left me feeling like, oh, are these are just trite ideas yeah. then that you can just conjure up and spit in someone's face to make them be unbrainwashed? I don't know. Yeah. It still worked for me a little bit because they were all, like, different and, like, funny. You know, they would kidnap a Barbie and say something, like, funny to her. Yeah. And then it would snap her out of it. And then she would say something funny in response. And, you know, it was sort of like a... Just a funny montage. I agree with that, for sure. That is a way to convey these ideas, and doing it in a comedic way doesn't make it not serious. Yeah. But it is a strange way to convey some, like, serious complaints. Yeah. The tension between trying to trying to have this movie be about something real and substantive while also being just, like, a pretty movie starring Margot Robbie and Ryan Gosling that are pretty people on the beach having fun, looking good, you know? Yeah. And being both of those things. They pulled it off pretty well, but uh, there's definitely, like, a tension there that you can feel even when you're watching it, right? Yeah. I feel like we should start wrapping this up, but which movie do you think imparted its message more effectively? I guess Barbie did, because Barbie was only its message and was committed to conveying it. And it was overt. Like, it literally had America Ferreira... (laughs) Just say it, you know? Yeah, exactly, exactly. And like I already said, I think Oppenheimer's message, I want to believe that you and I have the right takeaway from the movie, but I'm already, you know, feeling like that might not be everyone's takeaway. Like, I think you can come away thinking Oppenheimer was this hero without necessarily having a point of view on the creation of nuclear weapons, right? Like, it's sort of abstracted away from the real moral judgment that he's dealing with. Like, I feel like you, if you wanted to watch this movie and think Oppenheimer was a good guy, but still think that, like, creating nuclear weapons was wrong, then I think you could watch it like that. And I think you could watch it the opposite way and think, like, oh, he's a good guy, but he was right to do this. Or he's a bad guy, but he was wrong or right to do this. Like, it's sort of like the quality of the movie is abstracted a little bit away from his morality as a protagonist, which is already abstracted away from the morality of what he did. Yeah, I gotcha. And I yeah. think that's that's true for the movie. And so I think, like, therefore, it's not necessarily that there is a message, but just you sort of come to it from whatever perspective you're watching it from. Yeah. But I think, like, most people 
even if they look at it on a superficial level, I think there's enough room between all of those abstractions that they're not going to, even if you look at it very superficially, you could come away with like whatever political message that you, if you wanted to see it there, you could probably come away with that. And I think that's okay, right? Yeah. Because it's not necessarily about that. It's kind of about how people treat themselves and treat each other. All right, well, was there anything that watching these movies back to back, there were similarities or? I was thinking maybe like thematically there might be things that they had in common. Maybe you have something to say on that, but I didn't. That's not what I was left with. The only similarity that I think I keep coming to when I'm considering both of these movies is we talked before about Barbie having a stacked cast of famous people. But Oppenheimer also had a Mm -hmm. lot of talent there. And so what I am coming away with is how good individuals' performances were in both movies. Uh, Ryan Gosling, we definitely haven't talked about enough, but I'm sure plenty of people will be posting about like how good he was singing, dancing, just owning the character. He was incredible. Probably a tougher role than... Margot Robbie, I think. Oh, I think so, for sure. He was a bad guy. He was a good guy. He was silly and also, like, represented something serious. And, yeah, yeah, just a lot of And I actually, I liked all of the Kens. Um, I thought they did a really good job. And uh, America Ferreira, I know I already talked about. She was great. And then also when I'm thinking about Oppenheimer... Casey Affleck. I didn't realize it was Casey Affleck when we were watching the movie. He was so good. He's in one scene. He was so scary. And he's terrifying. He's a terrifying presence in that scene. Yeah. Really good. good. I know I already talked to Emily Blunt. Um, Killian Murphy. He did great. Yeah. Just overall, I think there's some excellent acting in both of these movies. I think if there was one theme, if I was forced to pull, I think it's... Neither of these is like a black and white movie, I think. Oppenheimer is literally a movie about a guy who can't think in black and white terms to the point that it makes him even a worse person. Like if he had taken a side, I'm going to be, you know, if he had decided to be a communist and said, I'm not going to support creating the atomic bomb because I think it's going to be used against people or because it's going to be used against the people that I support eventually or whatever... He could have done that and he could have taken a moral stand and said, yes, like I'm totally for this and I'm not going to speak for anybody that's not for this. But the reason he was so good, the people who worked with him on the Manhattan Project, like what his talent was, was being able to go to people that that like the normal appeals don't work for. Right. That you could tell them like this is the most important thing like you're Jewish, we have to defeat the Nazis, and they'll just laugh and say, like, I'm not going to do this, like, I'm not going to create this, like, nationalist weapon, Mm -hmm. right? But he could do that, you know, he could walk in, like, multiple worlds, and it's because he, at least in the movie, never had to make that choice, and I think Barbie, in a a similar way, I think the idea is, you know, you can embrace what Mattel is selling with Barbie world, but that's complicated and that's causing problems for the Kens of that world and then Ken goes to the real world and 
he sees horses and finds out that men like horses and becomes obsessed <laughs> with the patriarchy because people respect him, like respect that he doesn't get in Barbie world. He like embraces the patriarchy without even like meaning to be a bad person, but just becomes this like horrible dude, bro. Although I will say half of the stuff that he was into, I was like, I want that. I, yeah, I see that. <laughs> There's a lot of cool stuff about Kendom. Kingdom yeah. land. There was like a lot of dude stuff that I was like, yeah, that's that's cool. I feel yeah. attacked right now, you know. <laughs> but yeah, like, you know, that he I I think the movie doesn't end with like a direct answer for him or for Barbie. Both of them are like, well, I need to be me and I need to figure out like who that is and I'm not going to be nobody can tell me who that is. Like Ken can't define himself through Barbie and Barbie can't define herself through the real world or through Barbie world, right? Maybe that's a stretch. Ambiguity? I liked everything that you just said. And I think as far as the Oppenheimer movie goes, it's just having to grapple with inevitable consequences. I don't know if inevitable is the right word. Potential consequences. Yeah. The whole idea behind making weapons like that are if we don't make it, someone else can. And then you end up in an arms race and you know, as Oppenheimer said, well, we need to focus on making sure we're doing treaties and, and, you know, promises to reduce the use of these weapons. But it's many different ideas and, and perspectives on that can be true yeah. at once. And without knowing the future, like, you can't know what the right answer is. Like, even if you have a good idea of what you think the right answer will be or what you think it probably will be, you just can't know. Yeah. And, like, he couldn't know how this is going to end, right? So. And similarly, uh, in Barbie, there's a moment where Barbie's experience that every day is the same and now things are changing. And America Ferrer says something like, oh, honey, that's just how life is. Things change and you can't know what's going to happen. And so, yeah, I think for that, uh, they definitely share some similarities. And I also think the... The fact that the message isn't entirely black and white, even though Barbie was very clear with its message, it was very, you know, it was a message that anyone could personalize for themselves. And it was was a message for Ken as much or more so than it was for Barbie, you know, so I don't think it was necessarily only for one gender or the other, you know, feminism being all inclusive, just, Mm -hmm. you know, let yourself define yourself. Yeah. I think the movie was like, hyper vigilant and aware of if it's presenting a version of feminism that when you see how it treats Ken is that going to be like something that looks bad you know it has to present a version of feminism that both Barbie and Ken can take and run with and to that end I think it it kind of leaves off with the message of like you have to figure it out for yourself you know don't let anything define you but although as i said earlier it didn't land great for me because it's left so ambiguous i think to your point so people can write themselves into either character but it's left like oh i felt really bad for ken at the beginning of this movie and i don't really feel better for him now and barbie has been going on this journey and sort of ended up nowhere i wanted more uh, defined characters, but if the message is you have to define yourself, then I guess that's what Greta Gerwig wanted it to be. 
So are there any other similarities with of uh, theme that you noticed? From our discussion, I feel like something has come to mind for me, which is in both of these movies, you see that ideas or creations after they've been made, the creator no longer has power over them. They get to become whatever they are. Yeah. Like Oppenheimer makes the bomb, but he doesn't get to say what the president or anyone does with it. And then similarly, Mattel has made Barbie, but doesn't get to say that it's feminist or anti-feminist or anything. People have made their decisions about how they feel about Barbie. As you say, as soon as it's created, they sort of lose their power over it. You know, these things... Uh, you know, Barbie can become something that belongs essentially to the public and nuclear weapons belong to the government, but also have proliferated around the world. And I think Oppenheimer would either like to see them destroyed or under some sort of international control or... Exactly, exactly. I'm pretty pretty pleased with that. Yeah, that's good. That connecting theme. And also to take it a step further, I think both of these things are, I guess... They're both symbols of America's cultural and political dominance of, you know, the post-war era that, you know, through nuclear weapons and our alliance system and just the sheer size of America's cultural and diplomatic apparatus that we've been able to really shape the world since 1945 and, you know, since uh, the end of World War II. And I think... Barbie, in this movie, they talk about it being a symbol of capitalism, or at least a tool of capitalism, but I think, you know, like McDonald's or uh, American cars or whatever, it's also a symbol, right? It's a symbol of a certain style of Americana that is really prevalent in the United States, and I think it's been exported around the world, right? Yeah, and how that just has consequences, good or bad. I think as a society that reflects on itself constantly, we are reevaluating these things, or at least trying to, always still trying to figure out what the legacy exactly. of these things is. And these movies are just another way to grapple with that, too. On the one hand, Oppenheimer, the whole point is that we can't condone or absolve him for what he did. Barbie is made by Mattel and they're like no we can definitely absolve Barbie of of all <laughs> yeah, of this like is. we can acknowledge the you know the complicated impact that Barbie might have had but like they want you to leave having a positive idea of Barbie you yeah. know and I don't think Oppenheimer is quite the same because it's not like Oppenheimer made the movie right? yeah no and they definitely want to make some money and I might want to buy that I am Knuff that Ryan Gosling was with. All right, if you had to recommend one for opening weekend. Oh my god, I like hate myself for saying this, but seeing Oppenheimer in a theater and getting that full surround sound really immerses you in. I was really impressed with the, the sound last night. Yeah. <laughs> like, I guess the screen is the big thing. But then every time the sound would just, like, smash into us, I was like, is that what IMAX is about? The sound? Yeah, that was my takeaway, too. Because I didn't care about the huge screen, but there was one moment. It wasn't the moment you might think when the bomb was going off. I can't remember when it was. But I was just like, 
my bones are rattling. Yeah, for real. (laughs) So for that, and I think that's what we've already said before Christopher Nolan is all about, is creating a theater experience. And, you know, I think at times that's used as an excuse to justify things like his sound mixing and Mm -hmm. tenant and everything. But I think it's, you know, an obvious fact that he makes movies to be seen in the theater. For sure. I feel like I probably agree with that. I mean, I liked Barbie, but just in terms of, like, which movie felt shorter, Oppenheimer felt shorter to me. So, I don't know. I'm inclined to say Oppenheimer. I also, like, I've had more time to think about Oppenheimer, and like I said, I couldn't sleep last night, and I was thinking about it a lot, and I was, it, like, got me thinking about, you know, I used to be really into chemistry. I was Mm. like, you know, should I have, like, pursued that? Because all these people are, like, so if you open up like a physics or a chemistry book like all these people are so important in history and I think at one point Oppenheimer in the movie says like our secret weapon is anti-semitism and Leslie Groves is like what? and he's like because the Nazis like they ran all these people out of Germany and of Europe and they see all this as Jewish science and that gives us an advantage because we're not like treating people like that and just have, like, this war where the ideology has such a direct impact on, like, the advancement of science. You know, it's, it's just a very powerful moment for the impact of science. I've thought about it a lot, and I haven't had as much time to think about Barbie. But that's about all we have to say about these two very different movies that we've somehow culturally smashed together into one phenomenon. Yeah, and... Uh... Knowing that we were making this podcast, I have made sure not to read any other people's takeaways yet. So I'm about to hop on my computer and enjoy Find out if finding you were right. out <laughs> what other people thought. Yeah. Yeah. Anyhow, this has been Claire. And David. Thanks Thank for you. listening. Thanks.